Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. guys, welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we have Dr. Melanie Keller to talk to us about naturopathy and the MTHFR gene and all things around fertility, etc. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes. So let's start with this gene mutation. Most people haven't even heard about it. So can you tell us a little bit about what what it is and where it is. And apparently there's two locations that it sits in um, and what that may mean for people. Sure. Well, the biggest thing is it's an acronym that's fairly memorable. That's what I like to say. It's MTHFR, which has a lot of people go, hmm, what does that mean? And so how it relates to fertility and pregnancy and just life in general, we really want to talk about the vitamin B more specifically folic acid. So many people might know that a prenatal vitamin, one of the essential things is to have folic acid in it. If not, even in our food, many foods are fortified with B vitamins for this exact reason, because we need vitamin B specifically folic acid, actually more specifically folate to do a lot of the development that's happening in a fetus during pregnancy. So, so much action is taking place. So when we're looking at the two variants, there is one with, a, with letters and numbers. So we have A1298, <clears throat> C, and then we have C677T. And the point is, is that what we're looking for, the analogy I like to tell myself is that there is a range of how much this enzyme has enough gas in the tank, let's say. So if I happen to have one of the variations, it might be that I have a 25% decreased enzymatic function at that particular enzyme. So this enzyme is an important one. So it's affecting many, many other areas of the body. But when we're looking at it very specifically, we can look at the evidence that says around 25% decreased of this enzyme's function. Well, again, we can do things to help that. But on the other hand, with the C677T, we can have up to 60% decreased enzymatic function. And so that can be a reason why, and I'm not saying this is a given or specifically going to happen. It's more of a reflection looking back that people who have had difficulty either getting pregnant, holding a pregnancy, et cetera, they have had more of a pattern of having this enzyme, pattern of having a decreased enzymatic function. So as I mentioned, there are things we can do to help this function, but in retrospect, it can be something that people don't know about. So they might want to know ahead of time that they have this tendency to have this enzyme be slower. So I just say, okay, I have less gas in this tank. So what can I do to put more gas in the tank to ensure my enzyme is at its prime functioning? 
So thankfully there are things we can do and I can talk about those things if you want to, because. Yeah, I guess first I want to start by saying, why is it that most regular OBs don't test you for this gene mutation ahead of time to know what prenatal or what supplements you're taking prior to conception are going to be working for you? Is there, is, I mean, it, should it not yeah. be a regular test that is done? So, you know, before you're having losses and things. It's an excellent question. And it's becoming more popular. I would say more in the naturopathic realm. We yeah. are right. We're prevention or we are proactive. Um, and it's not to say that there's a negative. It's the fact that, um, and I would appreciate all medicine because we need to have big numbers. So that's why I made the, reference of we have to look back on it. It's not a given. It's not, hey, if you have this, it's going to be this way. So Mm -hmm. medicine in the broad spectrum, right? We have a tendency to kind of go, well, we don't want to worry people, you know, or maybe it's not even going to be a problem. However, when we can look at it retrospectively, then that might be something, right, that more people find not from their regular OBGYN, but then they have to go deeper, just like, right, with fertility, they might have to find more of a specialist to say, could this be part of my story? Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, having gone through my own fertility journey, being older as, you know, a mom and et cetera. I feel like the more information we can have about our bodies and how it operates and, you know, having gone through losses, I wish I would have known, you know, to have that information at least to eliminate, okay, well, I know that's not it, right? It may be something else, but it was more of the fact of, let me know all the answers that I potentially could be, even though, like you said, we can never really say the reason for this is that, however, the stat that you just rattled off was 60%, right? That's, um, that's a big number to know. And as far as I understand correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but not only in regards to fertility, but it can affect other areas of your life or other issues within your life um, from a medical health related way, right? So I feel like in general, it's just good to know how your body is functioning. But, you know, when I went to my doctor after I had my babies, they were like, well, are you going to have any more kids? I'm like, I'm not sure. Well, then we we're not going to test you for that. And I was like, okay. Um, which surprised me. So do you think for, even for people that are not going down the route of having children, do you think that it's still good information to know? Or do you think that it's really only relevant to know these sorts of things if you are going to have children? Oh, I think it's essential for people to know, but you're asking an epigenetic expert and intuitive. I think it, it helped me tremendously. I'm also a gut health IBS um, specialist. And this was essential part of, like you're saying, there are other parts of the body. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because the small intestine is where we absorb our B vitamins. So for example, if somebody's having gut health problems or they're not functioning all the way, or they're not, you know, absorbing this nutrient, you're taking the best prenatal multivitamin, but you're not absorbing it. In fact, it might even be making some things a little haywire because even the good things can spark some things that you're like, is that 
maybe causing my anxiety. That's actually been interesting for me to ask someone to pause. They're very good, high quality B complex, and they were taking it for such and such of a reason. I say, I understand that. However, in your particular genetics slash where you are right now in your life and your stress and you have irritable bowel syndrome, let's take a pause on that because you actually have bacteria that are producing B vitamins and your levels look high. So I understand why your doctor says, you know, this thing, but actually that's because the bacteria are making it you aren't really absorbing it. And I know that may have been a little complicated, but that's the level of detail we can get to from sleep to your hormone imbalances to um, gut health problem. Yes, it's all inclusive. And not to say that again, this one acronym is going to be, but it's, if you're looking at the Jenga, it's a major piece that could bring things either stable or bring it toppling down on one side or all the way. <laughs> and I'm so glad you brought up the gut health because a lot of people also don't realize the relation between gut health and fertility too. And I had, I don't even know how many years, but a good solid six years of diarrhea nine times a day, every day. And through that time I had IVF. I had also had my own, you know, had my babies and whatever, not one of the doctors that I ever saw ever asked me what my gut health was like, you know, and I was seeing very specialized doctors. So it just goes to show you, I think too, that having, you know, a naturopathic doctor, a coach to push you to a naturopathic doctor to work together as your fertility team helps you to put together all those aspects that really do play a role because sometimes on the medical, the MD side of it, they tend to just focus on what it is that they really focus on, right? So you go to the GI for the GI, you go, he doesn't talk to you about fertility. You go to the, the OB or the RE for that. And, and they don't ask you what your bowel movements are like. Um, but yet it's your whole body. And that's why we talk about the whole mind, body, spirit aspect of everything. And why we see so much success with people getting pregnant, because we do look at all of those things. So I'm so glad that you touched on that, but let's go back to the gene and, and fertility and to see what can people do to help that process if they do find out that they have this mutation. So I wanted to touch on a couple of things on this that you asked about as far as, and also more people getting this tested. We're seeing it more in autoimmune disease okay. too. So I just wanted to comment on that. And actually okay. irritable bowel syndrome is also autoimmune. We have proof of that. Um, and so, and like I'm seeing more rheumatologists um, test for this. So it's becoming a bit more streamlined. I find it interesting that it was maybe an option for you, but I think more people can ask for it, if not um, seek ways of, of getting this testing done. Because you might find that it's related to the hypothyroid, right? There's some, there's some signs that can be um, telltale. Again, this isn't a given, but like maybe people who haven't tolerated alcohol very well throughout their life, or they've had heavy clotting in their menstrual cycles or cramping. Um, they might feel that they might not eat green leafy vegetables every day. I know we're all trying to eat the rainbow. However, perhaps they don't. Um, and that's a main for this, for this particular enzymes pathway, green leafy vegetables are our best friend. 
So that one of the ways, especially with people who have gut problems, we might not be able to eat that large salad, but perhaps they can have a green smoothie. And when I refer to a smoothie, it's not the drink, it's the actual, you want the fiber. So it is more of a blended drink versus it's been pressed down and there's more sugars and such in it. We really want to get the greens because the green leafy vegetables are what is going to um, support the folate pathway. So I mentioned that folic acid is mainly what's in prenatal vitamins, but we actually need the folate, if not the methylfolate. So methyl just means that it's activated, it's ready to go. Um, and like I said, the green leafy vegetables will help nourish this entire process. So if you are taking your folate or methylfolate, you're adding in those greens, you're kind of giving the green light at every light stop for things to progress forward. Awesome. Can you, I know people have a lot of confusion around folic acid, folate, methylfolate. Can you run through that again real quick for those that are listening that get a little bit confused about all those words that are similar yet different? And trust me, we all do. And even in med school, everybody's trying to get it straight. So it's a great question. So folic acid is actually not properly absorbed in our body. It's a synthetic version of folate, but it is what's in our, in what's called fortified foods, right? So breads and such, you might see on the label, it's been fortified with B vitamins. Again, this was when we had a time when, and, and or people who don't have a proper nutritional balance, they might be an imbalance in their, in their vitamins. So folic acid is synthetic, what is in fortified foods. And quite frankly, I recommend everyone avoid that because what can happen is the folic acid can just sit on our folate receptors and it looks similar, but it's not activating them. They're just creating space. And there's actually in the way for when you do eat those green leafy vegetables, it's extra work for the body. Okay. So we're going to so, repeat that again, pretty much avoid folic acid. That's the summary. No okay. folic acid. Okay. Yes. Noted. Got that. For the word folate. So instead okay. of folic, it's folate. If something says folate on your prenatal thumbs up, and it might even say, L5-MTHF, which is an abbreviation of methylfolate. And methylfolate means that it's activated. So folate is what we want, and then methyl is just activating it. Now, some people, they actually don't want, like there might be, and this is why working with somebody, working with an naturopath or an epigenetic expert, they might actually have some problems with methylfolate or it might, like I mentioned, might give them a little more anxiety and there might be reasons why that you just have to clean some things up first, such as eat more green leafy vegetables or clean your gut. <laughs> the long and the short of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so you mentioned autoimmune and in this fertility world right now, it's coming up a lot around people thinking that um, natural killer cells, I don't know if you are familiar with that very much, but um, people going on these pretty intense um, autoimmune diets where they're like more paleo side or whatever, because they've read or they saw someone on Instagram that has you know, uh, natural killer cells and she's going through IVF or whatever. And so they think, oh, maybe I'm going to try to do this. Um, 
what do you think about kind of, for one, self-diagnosing based on other people's situation on social media, and two, something that essentially is really shifting the way that your body functions and and takes food and its diet and whatever based on a um, non-medical diagnosis? Well, there's a bit to unpack there. Um, I, yes, because number one, I think it's a really, really important point that you brought up and and can be very challenging for doctors is the um, kind of joining your diagnosis with somebody else's diagnosis by way of hearing part of the story. Now it's understandable we're humans, we want to relate and connect and we want answers. Um, But I think that you're bringing up a really important piece because especially for doctors, we, I especially want to get so customized to you and, and your story and your history that oftentimes sometimes something about that might not even pertain to you and can stir something up that doesn't need to be stirred up. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm saying that, and I'm just saying this from a clinical perspective of watch what I call watching the movie, but I've been at conferences where it's a functional medicine conference and saying, look at all this autoimmune work that we did with the person. And quite frankly, as the observer, I'm saying, I just see things getting worse or IE, I just see them gaining more autoimmune diagnoses instead of what's the solution Why do we keep finding problems? And so that's the concern that I have with going down the autoimmune rabbit hole or not understanding it very much fine-tuned to your exact condition. Mm -hmm. And another reason why I'm saying this is from personal experience of working with a person who was working with a fertility immunology like expert on their autoimmune condition, Mm -hmm. multiple autoimmune conditions. And even I was timidly the doctor going, oh, but I'm not. And they were like, you have done more for me than any of my experts. In fact, we reversed some of their diagnoses. We reduced autoantibodies more than, and she was like, I was spending so much money. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm. so that's just my experience. Also to say, I know that it can be possible to change. So I'm just cautious when people add on diagnoses, whether they're self-investigated or even given by specialists. Yeah. And it, you know, to that point, go on a little bit further, you can potentially cause other issues to come up, as you said, because of doing whatever else you're doing. So the long and the short of it, again, to summarize that is just work with somebody who's familiar with what you're going through, whether that's fertility or gut issues or whatever it may be and who you trust, because I think that's another thing. We're so used to going to whatever doctor is down the road and not having a really good relationship with them because you mentioned spending so much money and whatever, but you think, oh, they're like the one for the immunology reproductive doctor. Um, but if you feel like you're not really connecting with them and they're not going to get you to the other side, really try another route. I feel like it's, there's so many ways to get to the end goal. And part of that is where are you, where do you listen to your intuition? Where do you feel comfortable? Where do you feel like somebody's aligned with you and they're on your team? Um, that goes so far. I mean, I've had so many clients that are like, I am in tears outside my doctor's office before I go in. Cause I have such anxiety 
And then they switch doctors and it's like a whole nother thing. And then they get pregnant because, you know, it's all part of it, right? It's all part of the energetic field that you're working towards that. So I think really watch out as far as when you're self-diagnosing and then find somebody that you trust that is in that field. How does a naturopath differ from an MD or a functional practitioner? Uh, so we are trained in not only what I say, pharmaceutical medications. So what you would be prescribed requires a prescription. We're trained in that. And then we're also trained in, in botanicals or herbs, however people relate to it in the individual forms, in combinations and in combinations with medications. Um, we're also trained on homeopathic remedies. So when I sat for my boards, we had 200 of each, 200 drugs, 200 herbs, and 200 remedies that we needed to know all individually and combinations of. Wow. With all due professional courtesy and respect, most people who have gone through a functional medicine program have gotten some summaries of what naturopathy is in terms of like, yes, they might, I often say they, they might know what's in the combination of the product, but the breakdown of why it's in there, does that make like we are just very much more trained on the, even down to the Latin terms and how it's grown and it's very extensive. Um, and also the interactions. I often find some practitioners who have had functional medicine training don't always know the combinations and the safety and contraindications um, and or not everybody will disclose everything that they're taking as well. But that is a key thing that we are very well trained in. And I think that's part of why when you see a naturopath, it's, it's really a deep dive on your health and your body, which I love because you come out of that, like learning so much and it really does feel like a partnership with whoever you're working with versus, you know, a 10 minute consult as you go in the doc in the office and they're like, okay, here you go. Or, you know, it just feels different. Um, that's only my personal experience. Um, but also feedback from clients that I have that when I send them to naturopaths, it's like, they, it's almost like an enlightened experience of, I didn't know this about my body, or now I know something that I was doing wasn't helping me. And now I feel so much better. So I, I think it's such a beautiful, um, I don't know, Avenue that's really untapped in a lot of ways. And I don't know, how do you think that from our perspective, because I coach other fertility coaches, how we can get that word out more to, for people to go to, to see a naturopath versus not versus, cause I, I, of course, everywhere has every aspect has its place, of course. So I'm not putting any other one down, but um, how do we encourage that and, and get the word out that this is really a thing that, you know, as you said, the, the level of education here and how they integrate to not only um, medication and herbs and all the other things, what do you suggest? What's your advice for us? Um, well, I think you summed it up in a really nice way in the sense that I want to be on part of somebody's team, especially when somebody right is working in any area of their specific health. But I always, and it's actually something I ask, what are your family planning goals? Because 
that's something I want to know about the whole strategic plan and that I'm part of their team and that I'm, and I have a high ticket specific program, but I, like I was thinking of your person that was crying in the waiting room, they would have texted me, you know, and I would have been able to be there. And I, I'm not that specific expert, right. But I could listen to what happened. They could send me those results. I can read and understand the medical terminology. So mm -hmm. I think just even knowing that they could have a naturopath as a point person, um, but that they do have to do a bit of, I'd call it maybe an interview process in the sense that you are looking for somebody who is open to being part of a team because with all due professional courtesy and respect, some of my colleagues, you know, they might have their way of doing it and and that might work for you in a preconception way or, or put, you know, in one section of your journey, or it might be that you're looking for somebody with a broad perspective that can be part of your entire team and might be referring you to different specialists for pelvic floor work, you know, or for other things that you need in conjunction. And yet they're that center person who understands it all because they're looking at it from a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. work just happens to be a favorite of mine. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love that because dealing with IVF and infertility and all of those things already is such an emotional journey. And then to couple that with not feeling supported, um, from your, your doctor who you see pretty much every other day when you're going through fertility treatments, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. So knowing that you have someone on the other side of your team that you feel really good about to run things by and say like, Hey, this is what is going down. Or what do you think about this or that? I think is super helpful. So any other suggestions or advice you have for anyone listening that may be going through their own fertility journey right now, and maybe they're just getting started and, you know, a few months in and no results yet from a, a naturopathic perspective, what you would suggest for them? Well, I'll be, I'll admit I'm a little biased in the sense of, but it's, it's called small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that not everybody has gut health, pro, you know, they might go, oh, but I don't have bloating or I don't have diarrhea, you know, but actually a very high percentage of people have it and we're finding from research. And I have just seen time and time again, cause I ask, what's your family plan? If family planning's in the, mm -hmm. in the plan. And more often than not, people say, oh, I have to handle my SIBO first and then I'll plan on, you know, I can get pregnant. And interestingly enough, almost every time mid SIBO treatment, they get pregnant. And I yeah. just, that's the most exciting thing for me because it's like this surprise, but I understand the reasoning why I understand a lot of what we talked about today. So that can be, don't assume that because it has a lot of gut health around it, that it doesn't pertain to you. I would say you might actually want to just check it out and see if you have that, um, it's a breath test. It's fairly easy to do. And there's really great evidence of how to treat it too. Yeah, I actually, so within my craziness of, it got more crazy when I had SIBO. <clears throat> and okay. at the time, I think I'd gone to, I went to four different doctors in three different states that were not, was not diagnosing me with SIBO. And um, because at the time it really wasn't a recognized thing. Um, finally, I found a doctor that would do the breath test for me and that's when it came up. And then I wasn't reacting to the, 
the medication, the antibiotics for that for, I think I had to do four or five rounds of it. Um, in turn, I have still to this day, and we could talk about later, but I'm very open about the, the candida and the yeast that I have from all the heavy um, antibiotics that I've been on, as well as the progesterone suppositories through the fertility treatments and everything. So that's an ongoing thing as well. But I, I feel like because the SIBO diagnosis, again, that small intestinal bacteria overgrowth isn't widely recognized by a regular MD or GI doctor necessarily. Maybe it is now. Um, this was quite a few years ago now, but um, can you list some of those symptoms so people can know like, oh, maybe, maybe I do have it and I'm not even aware of it? Yes. Um, so I will say I'm going to come from a very scientific, these are the guidelines and then I'll give you some general okay. <laughs> the, the like College of American Gastroenterology. It's diarrhea. That's the main thing. You know, so when you were saying you had experienced that, I was like, oh, that's SIBO. And because even hormone, they all, I call it the hormone microbe shuffle. So if you're on hormones, you're going to shuffle your microbes. If you have extra microbes, you're going to shuffle your hormones. You got to figure out this balancing act. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I feel this is important. So the main thing is di diarrhea is going to be a key note um, of SIBO because C or IMO, or if we have constipation is actually a different bug. Okay. It's a different overgrowth of a different microbe, but bacterial overgrowth is predominantly this diarrhea. It can be abdominal pain and this can be different than cramping, right? This is very specific abdominal pain. It can kind of come across as menstrual pain, um, and then also bloating. So it can be visible bloating and it can also be just the sensation of bloating. So I'll often ask somebody, do you feel X amount worth months pregnant? Even men will use this term <laughs> or does it just, does it, you know, do we visibly have that change and shift in distension or does it just yeah. feel like you're six months pregnant of bloating, but your pants still fit? Um, so those are main. And then when we go into constipation, we can measure it through the same breath test. But like okay. I said, it's just a different, they're methane um, overgrowth versus a bacterial overgrowth. And that can lead to a slower motility, um, again, bloating, some abdominal pain, more so because of having constipation. Now, both of these having disruption in our gut, we can have then sleep disruption, hormone disruption, anxiety or mood or just mental health. Um, I call it the dimmer switch. I'm like, why is my dimmer switch usually on pretty bright? I'm a happy person, but sometimes what's going on there with my dimmer switch? So versus ah. depression, you know? Yeah. I like that analogy of the dimmer switch. <laughs> yeah. It really does. That's, you know, yeah. I, I feel like when your visceral system is not feeling good, you do feel dim. You, it does affect everything. So I love that. I mean, I can talk about this on and on. I want to touch on the epigenetics, but we don't have time. So we'll do that another time because I'm obsessed with epigenetics as well. Um, but thank you so much for being here today. And I know that we're going to have a lot of clarity from this with people who have had questions around the folic acid, the folate, the methylfolate, all of those things. So thank you so much for being here and we will see you soon. Thank you. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.